Have you ever heard a musical artist described as having great chops? What does that mean? Well, the term chops is slang in the music business that refers to an artist that has developed great skills over time, whether they are a musician, composer, producer, or other titles associated with the music business. This is Scott Grimaldi, your host of Got Chops. Join me as I interview one musical artist per episode that I've had the pleasure of either performing, recording, or work with in my career. Plus, I'll be interviewing artists I've always wanted to speak with. We'll discover how each artist developed their chops, listen to their stories, and much more. This is Got Chops. My special guest artist for today is a touring and freelance trumpet player in the New York City area, currently on tour with Niall Rogers and Sheik. That's him playing the trumpet parts behind me with the Blood, Sweat and Tears horns on the composition Sheffield Songo by the artist Peter Fernandez. My guest is one of only three trumpet players to tour with the legendary horn band Chicago and was a member of Blood, Sweat, and Tears for eight years, plus served as their musical director during his last six years. Other artists he has performed and or recorded with include Casey and the Sunshine Band, Bon Jovi, The Rolling Stones, Donna Summer, and Daryl Hall, just to name a few. When not touring, he records, produces, and engineers at his very own Jankland recording studio. This multi-talented trumpet player certainly got chops. Please welcome Steve Jankowski. Hi, Steve. This is Scott from Got Chops. How are you? Hey, Scott. I'm doing great. Nice to talk to you. Oh, same here. Thank you so much. So for my listeners on the phone right now calling from New Jersey is my special guest artist for today, Steve Jankowski, who is a highly recognized and revered trumpet player session musician, producer, and owner-operator of Jankland Recording Studio. I've known this great musician for a number of years now, and it's always a pleasure whenever I get the opportunity to play next to him on a gig. Steve, thanks once again so much for granting me this interview. I'm looking so forward to our conversation. Oh, my pleasure, Scott, and thanks for those kind words. So let me ask you, as a trumpet player, what does the music slang got chops mean to you? (laughs) <laughs> that's a great question um yeah, got chops man i just finished doing my two-hour routine this morning you know you gotta you gotta get that routine in to keep your chops up so uh yeah it's all about chops so obviously as a brass player you know this term well and when did you first hear of this probably when you were uh, a kid i think yeah i think probably once i got to high school and uh my high school music teacher, Les Hollander, started taking us out to uh, concerts. You know, he'd take us to see Maurice Andre and, you know, on the way home, he'd say, what do you think about his chops? Um, or we'd go see Chicago and he'd say, hey, guy's got some chops. Huh? So, yeah, that, I think I started hearing the term back in high school. 
So I read that you were born in Neptune, New Jersey. How long did you live there? And is that where you attended school? Uh, Neptune is where I was born. That's where the hospital was, which is uh, the next town over from Belmar. So I basically was raised in West Belmar uh, here at the Jersey Shore. And I attended school. Uh, I, I went eight years to St. Rose uh, School in Belmar. And then uh, high school, I went to Wall High School. And that's kind of where I got serious about the trumpet. So what was the inspiration and or the pivotal moment when you knew the trumpet was going to be your instrument of choice? Well, that's a great question, man. There's actually two two answers to that. Um, when I was a kid growing up here in West Belmar, there was a guy across the street that I looked up to. He was probably about eight years older than me. He was in, he was in high school at the time. And uh, I would hear him, you know, playing the trumpet, you know, the summertime, the windows are open. You could, you could hear him doing his warm up, doing his routine, then practicing. And I would hear him playing these, these pop tunes, you know, horn lines to these pop tunes. And, um, Lo and behold, one day my uncle uh, bought a trumpet for my cousin. My cousin said, no, I'd rather play guitar. So I inherited the trumpet. And there was this guy that I looked up to across the street giving lessons. So I started taking lessons. Um, I took lessons with him for about five years up until about eighth grade, at which point I thought I was going to become uh, the next NBA All-Star. And I decided I was going to play basketball instead. And I stopped playing trumpet for a bit. But that trumpet teacher went on to be in the band that became the E Street Band. He was the first trumpet player oh, wow. in the E Street Band. Uh, his name was Kevin Solovsky. He later on went into the Air Force and uh, stopped playing trumpet. And that's when, you know, that's when Bruce hit it big. But he was the first guy in that band. I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. The second part to that answer when i got into high school realized i wasn't going to be a basketball player and the high school band director over in wall township les hollander knew that i played trumpet um and you know he saw my competitive spirit from uh basketball he said oh let me get a hold of this guy let him let me bring him in band and once i got in there you know i realized wow if i just practiced a little bit more i i could get in the first chair play better than the guy that was sitting there and then he took me to all sure jazz band region jazz band all state jazz band and once i got a taste of that that's when i knew that that's what i wanted to do that's great i love that so growing up who were some of your favorite trumpet artists well uh the the music teacher at the high school les hollander he took us to see maurice andre so that would have been my one of my first concerts um and so he was one of my idols i mean just with such a beautiful sound such an incredible player uh, my dad had taken me uh i don't know if you're familiar with the the library concerts in new jersey has a great series of of uh library concerts yes and he actually took me to see louis armstrong when wow. i was a kid so he was one of my you know favorites growing up as well and dad always used to play music like that around the house all the time I grew up listening to Cootie Williams, um, you know, just all these, you know, the Woody Herman's big band, uh, the, the Heath Brothers big band, uh, Buddy Rich big band. So I, I heard a lot of stuff coming up and I had a lot of guys, trumpet guys that I looked up to. But I think most importantly, I looked up to Lee Lochnane uh, in Chicago because that's really what I wanted to do. Once I got a taste of playing in a horn section in a rock band in high school. I, I knew that was the direction I wanted to go. And I really looked up to Lee. 
Wow, that's fascinating. And you and I have similar backgrounds. We came from an era where, uh, thank God for groups like Chicago, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, which we'll talk about later on. Uh, That's what inspired all of us to pick up a brass or a woodwind instrument. And um, we still are inspired by those groups and still watch them. And we'll talk about you playing with them a little later on in the show. So after high school, you were a studio music and jazz major at the University of Miami, and you also received a Bachelor of Music degree in trumpet performance from the Manhattan School of Music in New York. So please share with my listeners what those music educational experiences were like. Sure. Um, Well, it was interesting. uh, When I was looking for a college to go to out of high school, um, my dad was all for music. Mom was like, well, you should find something, you know, you could double major, something you could fall back on. So actually when I found the University of Miami, I knew they had a great jazz department and I knew I would love being a part of that. But to please my mom, I also knew they had a, a recording engineering program. So I actually went to the University of Miami as a recording engineering major for the first semester. Wow. Then cool. when I got there, then when I got there, my teacher said, you need to be playing full time. You know, there's just too many classes for the recording engineer and just transfer to the jazz department, which is what which is what I did. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot, a lot of great players there. Some of the guys I met there at the time uh, throughout the years have helped me, you know, uh, call me for gigs that they can't do. Um, that's how I got the call to play with Casey and the Sunshine Band. Jeff Kivett was down there. He was playing lead trumpet in the concert jazz band. You know, years later, he got a call for KC. He couldn't do it. He called me. Um, so that was a great that was a great scene down there. Um, but my trumpet teacher, after a couple of years, said, you know what? You, you really need to be in New York. You need to be around some players that are just going to kick your butt and make you really practice hard. And you're either going to make it or not. So why don't you go to New York? So after two years in Miami, I auditioned for uh, Juilliard and Manhattan School of Music. And I chose Manhattan because they had a jazz program and Juilliard did not at the time. We have something else in common. I'm also an alumni of Manhattan School of Music. But when I was there, I was in the, uh, the classical program. I first went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston for jazz. Wow. Manhattan School of Music is just an outstanding, outstanding place. Uh, when I was there, Dick Lowenthal, who was the head of the uh, jazz program back then, I don't know if you were there at that time, yeah. um, he kept asking me, come on, please, come to the jazz portion. I says, I already did that at Berkeley. I'm here to get the classical version. So, he, <laughs> But he kept trying. You know, I appreciate it. You know, he was interested in me, but it... I'm very happy that I studied both. So classical music, I'm sure, because your technique and your tone is just outstanding, I'm sure you had some great classical teachers that taught you all the great chops and the tone and the technique. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And when I went to Manhattan, that's, you know, basically what I got, because at the time, uh, the trumpet teachers were, you know, either the guys playing in the Philharmonic or the guys playing in the New York Brass Quintet, you know, some of the best classical players in the world. Uh, and that's who I did study with there. Uh, Alan Dean, in particular, helped me out quite a bit. Um, and in addition to that, it was all the players that were there that were in the master's program that just, you know, sounded amazing that I wanted to try to emulate and, and be as good as. 
So as a touring and freelance trumpet player in the New York City area, you were performed with and were recorded with iconic music artists that include Bon Jovi, the Rolling Stones, Aretha Franklin, Daryl Hall, George Duke, Donna Summer, Amy Grant, and the list goes on and on. Your other career milestones include being a member of Blood, Sweat, and Tears for eight years and then being their musical director during the last six years. You're one of only three trumpet players to tour with the legendary horn band Chicago, and currently you're on tour with Niall Rogers and Chic. Please share with my listeners what it's like to perform then or record with these legendary artists. Oh, it's amazing. I, I feel like one of the luckiest trumpet players in the world. Um, you know, there's so many guys out there that are great players that could do what I do. But fortunately or luckily, I, I got some of these calls. Um, you know, Chicago, man, as I mentioned before, I grew up listening to them and and, and Lee and Jimmy Panko, they're, they're like, you know, some of my heroes. Um, you know, getting that call was just incredible uh and getting to do that you know of course uh, i'm a kid i mean the first time i did it i was in my 20s you know very nervous uh, it's a pretty funny story the, the first time i did it i was really early got to the got to the first gig it was jones beach out in uh, long island got to the hotel early sat on the bus there by myself and jimmy panko the trombone player is the first guy to get on the bus so I sat, you know, somewhere in the middle. I didn't know who was sitting where. I didn't want to take anybody's seat. Jimmy gets on the bus, head down with his with his horn. And as he walks past me, he just looks at me, gets like within six inches of my face and laughs and says, are you nervous, kid? And that broke the ice, man. He just made me feel like right at home. And, and, and you know, we hit it off right away. And it was just so much fun. I remember that story because you and I worked together a number of years ago, and um, I think that was the gig that you worked with them, and then shortly after that, you and I had, I think, a, a, a show somewhere or a club did. I can't remember, but I want to tie that in with something that you and I are, were associated with, and this is how you made the connection with Chicago. So tell my listeners about the L.A. Sax Company, of which you and I were on their roster of artists, endorsers, and clinicians during the 1990s and the exposure you received after demonstrating their line of colorized trumpets at the NAMM show that created this opportunity for you to suffer trumpeter Lee Lochname from Chicago. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, I met Peter LaPlaca, who owned the uh, L.A. Horns Company here in Jersey. He's actually a Jersey boy. He's from Tom's River. Um, I met him here and uh actually i was playing with my my friend tom timko sax player who, who you probably know oh yeah great player and and uh pete peter offered us an endorsement with the horns so the, we were on tour actually with andrew dice clay of all people wow yeah he did a uh arena tour i think he was the first comedian to sell out like madison square garden in the la forum and he had a band and Tom and I were in the band, and that's how we met. Uh, that's how we got to Chicago to go to Peter Lapaka's uh, factory where we tried the horns. And he had a real unique thing, as you know, he was colorizing horns to try to make them more appealing to the younger kids that just wanted to play guitar, that were you know interested in rock and roll or whatever. And and I think I think it was a good idea because when we were at the Nam show, he'd bring us to the Nam show. I think I think. 
I did it for 10 years in the 90s. Um, he would bring us there. We would demonstrate the horns at the booth. I think everybody had a slot every hour and you would do a demonstration. And I met so many people there. And as you mentioned, one day I'm demonstrating the horn. I forget what I was playing. Um, probably a music minus one track. Eyes closed, soloing, finish the song, open my eyes. And there's Lee Lochnane standing right in front of me. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what are you doing here, man? This is great. How you doing? He said, wow, you sounded great. You know, let's, let's exchange numbers. And it turned out a month after that, he had a little bit of a health issue and he had to leave a tour for about a month. And he called me and said, hey, you, you want to do it? We're on the East Coast. I need somebody to cover for me. And, and that's how I got my first first tour with Chicago. If memory serves me, I believe you told me when you got that call, uh, you thought it was one of your friends goofing you. <laughs> I did. And he said, don't hang up. It's really Lee Lochnane. <laughs> I did because, yeah, because, you know, Tom Timko, uh, the sax player friend of mine, he would, he, he, he could put somebody up to doing that, to goofing on me. And, <laughs> and, and I actually thought, I thought it could have been somebody doing that. When we were at L.A. Sax, you know, they gave us the horns, so they gave me um, an alto, a soprano. I mean, just wild, wild colors that you could pick and choose from. I had a copper bow and a copper neck, which was really incredible. Um, and you and I were very fortunate to be on their promotional CDs, along with Richard Elliott and other notable saxophonists from around the globe, which is I thought was incredible, playing different genres of music. And uh, we were on promotional posters. Remember those? I'm sure you still have those. I do. The one question I used to get from everyone, I don't know if you went through this, was, okay, uh, do you really play that horn? Yeah. Honest to God, I do. I said, I like it. Uh, that is exactly me recording this, you know, in the studio. I brought it on gigs. Did you get the same thing or not? Same here. Yeah, I got it all the time. And, and I, I was the same way. I wouldn't endorse anything that I didn't really believe in. And at the time, that was the horn that I played. And and for the Dice Tour, the Andrew Dice Clay Tour actually ended with two sold out shows at uh, Madison Square Garden. And uh, they filmed them and they became uh, they became part of a movie that Dice made called called Dice Rules. And Peter LaPlaca from LA Horns knew that that was coming up. And he did a special horn for me where he actually painted flames on the bell. And I'm using that horn in, in the movie. Oh, I'll have to check that out. One of the horns that Pete gave me, because he hired me to do one of these uh, music educator conferences, it was in the uh, New Jersey or New York area, I forget where, but he said, listen, uh, I'm going to give you, besides the horns that you have already, we made a tenor saxophone for President Clinton, and it's the first presidential tenor saxophone. I remember that. So he met me at you know the place I had to demonstrate the horns, and you probably remember because this is on that poster that you and I are on. Yep. So for my uh, listeners, it's red, white, and blue, like a flag. Yep. They have it engraved, you know, uh, President Clinton's full first, middle, and last name. And there's a picture on the poster of the, the press taking a picture. He played it in the White House. And then uh, anyone that knows about uh, presidents, when you give them a gift— 
they can look at it, they can hold it, and then quickly it's ushered to the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. So that's where it is, you know, under plexiglass. But I actually um, played that horn at um, this music educators conference, and man, it really played great. And I said, "Can I have this horn?" No, it's for President Clinton. <laughs> how cool is that? <laughs> that's amazing. That's great. So, how did you land the gig with Niall Rogers and Chic? And explain to my young listeners who Niall is and his immense contributions to the world of pop music. Nile, Nile's amazing, yeah. So, uh, as you mentioned before, um, the NAMM show, you know, being in front of people um, was a great way for me to meet people. And one of our fellow endorsers, do you remember Bill Holloman? Oh, absolutely. So Bill Holloman was playing with Nile at the time, and the trumpet player needed a sub. And Bill thought, well, let me try Steve. Let me call Steve. So it was uh, New Year's Eve of 2004 was my first uh, my first sub with Nile Rogers and Sheik. And it was in Las Vegas. It was a uh, New Year's Eve party, and the theme was Studio 54. Wow. Um, which, you know, if you know anything about Nile, Nile grew up in the city. And as a kid, when he started playing, he and his partner, Bernard Edwards, would play at Studio 54, you know, and and one year they tried to get in and they weren't 18 yet and they got turned away and they went home and wrote this song um, that turned into The Freak, All Freak Out. Well, the original words weren't all freak out. They were mad at the guys that wouldn't let him in the room. So it was all blank, blank. But, uh, <laughs> But but the song became an underground hit. They realized if they changed the words, it would become a huge hit. And that's, you know, that's towards the beginning of, of Nile Rogers and Chic. And they went on to, you know, have a have a bunch of hits. And Nile went on to produce records for David Bowie, uh, produce and co-write songs like Let's Dance, David Bowie, uh, like a virgin with Madonna. Uh, recently he did uh, Cuff It with Beyonce, he just won three Grammys for that. So he's had hits over six decades. And, you know, I can't go in a store or turn on the TV without hearing his guitar on something or a song that he co-wrote or produced. He's just so prolific. Nile Rogers and, let's say, Chicago. These guys have made their hits all they they really don't need to be out there, but they love music so much. Uh, they're still so strong in what they do and how they play. Um, you know, it's a passion, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Niall has said it, and I've heard I've heard Lee and Robert Lamb in Chicago say it, especially in these times uh, that they love bringing happiness to people. They love if someone has a rough month a rough week or a rough day at work they can come to a show and for those two hours they get lost in the music and and they forget all their problems and and they you know Nile just loves bringing happiness to these people when you're not on the road touring with Nile Rogers and Sheik you're busy recording and engineering projects at your Jankland recording studio located in Belmore New Jersey mm-hmm Tell my listeners about Jankland Recording and some of the bands and artists that have recorded there. Okay. Um, So as I mentioned before, when I went to college, I did go for recording engineering. So it's been a passion of mine ever since I was a kid. My dad had a, you know, a 
a real real deck that we used to play with and record on when I was a kid. Um, he'd bring that out and record my my rock bands uh, that I played in high school. So I had a passion for it. And um, as as I got out of school and started touring, um, I realized that I missed recording. And when I was in some major studios, uh, I got to do a lot of recording with Gamble and Huff in Philly. Um, I played on uh, stuff for the for the Butcher Brothers at Studio Four in Philadelphia. That's where I got to play on a Jay Z record. That's where I got to play with Daryl Hall on a Daryl Hall record. Um, Rolling Stones record I got to do there. When I was there, I would hang out after the recording sessions and watch and listen. And, oh, that's how they did that. Oh, that's how they got that sound. And I learned a lot from these guys just kind of standing in the background. Eventually, a friend of mine that I mentioned before, Tom Timko, wanted to do a a record. And, you know, as we all are, we're a little self-conscious in front of a lot of people and he had solos to do and he just wanted to do them with just him and me would feel more comfortable and get a better result. So that's how it all started. Basically I bought an ADAT machine, a microphone, a microphone preamp, some sound deadening stuff. And in the basement of where I lived at the time, um, I built a small, tiny recording studio to record his solos on his, on his first record. Uh, that I was also producing for him. Um, and then that just grew. From there, I was playing in a jazz quintet. The jazz quintet said, hey, can you record us? So I bought another machine, more microphones, more preamps. And over the years, it grew. Um, and now I've had you know, some really good players in here. I did a record uh, for Joe Pesci, the actor. He's a singer as well, a guitar player as well. So he came in, did a record here. Um, I did a record, actually, Pat Martino, the jazz guitarist, last record before he passed. I did that here. Terrific. Um, I've had Joey DeFrancesco in here. Wow. Uh, some, some really good players, along with some great local artists as well. Um uh, J- Gordon James, trumpet player, has been in here. Uh, Jeff Rupert has been in here, sax player. I uh, just finished mixing a record for Peter DiCarlo. So it's uh, the reason for the studio started because I wanted to ha- help out friends of mine who might not be able to afford getting a record out there in a big studio that would cost, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. I basically wanted to help my friends get material out there because they should be heard. They're great players. Tom Timko's a great player. I wanted him to be heard. Um, working on a record right now for a trumpet player, Chris Rogers, great player. He needs to be heard. Um, so that's kind of how it was born. And at this point, I'm touring so much that it's really just projects that I want to take on where I believe in the artist's music and I want to help them get that music out there. So that's that's where I'm at now at the studio. Well, that's great. And that's what makes you a great producer also, because a great producer knows how to make the artist or whoever they're hiring uh, feel comfortable. Because if you're not comfortable on stage or especially in the studio, uh, you're going to tense up and you, you're not going to do your best. And then after a while, it's like, listen, we did 10 takes. I, I think I'm going to call someone else. And yeah, right. all that person needs is just to feel like they're at home. Right. 
In addition, please tell my listeners about an all-star band that you belong to, I believe with Tom Timko, that features former members of Blood, Sweat & Tears, Chicago, and Tower of Power. Oh, that was, yeah, that's top brass. I uh, put that together with Tom and my buddy, the trombone player in Blood, Sweat & Tears. Um, when we left Blood, Sweat & Tears, we kind of missed playing that music and missed playing together. You know, the, the band became a family. And uh, so so Jens and Tom and I decided to do this and, and, you know, try to get it out there so we could play casinos. We'd fly out to Vegas and, and play out there, I don't know, two, two three times a year. Um, unfortunately, because we got so busy with these other touring projects, we, we haven't really been able to do much with that. But uh, that was a lot of fun. We, we had a great time with that. And we did, you know, Tom played with Tower of Power. Tom also played with uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears. Um, I played with Chicago. Uh, we had uh, Carlos Murguia, keyboard player who subbed with Chicago. Um, some really great players and great singers. It was a lot of fun. Wow. Well, I'm sorry I missed those years when you had that together. I'm sure it was fantastic. And the energy between all of you on stage was just organic because you, like you said, you all enjoyed that music. Right. Please pick two different musical selections from your catalog of recordings that you feel best represents what you do as a trumpet player that I can filter into this interview as you speak about them now. Okay, that sounds great. The first thing that I would choose is a song called Surreptitious that we did with Blood, Sweat, and Tears that featured me on flugelhorn and Tom Timko on tenor sax. And it shows... You know, my solo ability, my horn section um, playing, and uh, also it's a it's an arrangement that I helped write for the live show. And my buddy Teddy Moulette, another trumpet player that played with Blood, Sweat and Tears, wrote when we were at the recording se uh, session. It was a song we did for Jeff Lorber on his record called He Had a Hat. It was up for a Grammy. Um, and basically we had gone out there Jerry Hay had written all the horn arrangements and we finished playing, you know, we were out there for a day. We finished the record and the producer, Bobby Columbia played this other song for me. And I said, wow, why aren't there horns on that? This would be a great song for horns. And he agreed. And we sat there and Teddy wrote the chart. It's like after midnight, Teddy wrote the chart in the studio and around one in the morning, we recorded it. Um, Randy Brecker's featured on the record, but I got to be featured live. So I will send you a link for that. That's called Surreptitious. <laughs> have another one as well i will send you something that we do live with nile rogers probably something uh maybe from the 
BBC New Year's Eve gala that we played in London a few years ago. I could send you that. So for the trumpet players listening to this episode, I'm sure they'd love to hear about your gear and the endorsements that you have. So the gear, um, I found, uh, we were in Italy and I found, I heard this, I heard Alex Sipiagin playing a horn and it just sounded so warm and buttery to me. And I reached out to the horn maker, uh, Antonio Rapacciola. He has a company called AR Resonance. And I took a day after we finished the tour, got on a train from Venice to Milan and went to meet him at his factory and tried his horns. And I just fell in love with it. So I'm playing an AR resonance Feroce model um, trumpet at these days. Um, as far as the mouthpiece, I've been playing GR mouthpieces, uh, Gary Radke. Uh, he's out in Wisconsin. I've been playing his mouthpieces for probably 15, 20 years now. Um, they work great for me. And do you have a say in, you know, the design of the horn and or the mouthpieces? And can you keep going back and tweaking over and over? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for the mouthpieces, um, I did exactly that. And it took, it took, I mean, I, when I picked up his mouthpieces right away, I knew they were more efficient than anything I had been playing on in the past. And um, I found a model off the shelf that I liked. And then I wrote the company and said, I think I need a little more room inside the cup, a little more of an inner wall, because I have fleshy lips and I, I use a lot of lip engagement. I sent him uh, an excerpt of me playing, I sent him a picture, some video, and he said, let's try to do this. And then he actually had me do something that your listeners are going to find really interesting and probably funny. I was on the road at the time. He said, go to a drugstore, buy some lipstick, put the lipstick on, play your horn, put them out, show me, and then take a picture of the mouthpiece. Wow. Basically, what that does is it shows how far your lips engage inside the cup. So he could see how far the lipstick went inside the cup of the mouthpiece. 
so he could see how much lip engagement I use. And that's when we came up with the model that I'm currently playing on. He said, oh, yeah, you need a much deeper mouthpiece than most guys. And he made it, and it feels amazing. And he's just a great technician, Gary Radke, GR mouthpiece. That's a first. I've never heard of that. But how smart of a concept is that? That's brilliant. Yeah, especially since we couldn't see each other in person. So where can my listeners find you on social media and can they purchase your music and merch online? Uh, I am, I have a Facebook page, uh, Steve Jankowski. I have an Instagram page, which is uh, S Jankland, um, S J A N K L A N D. And I have a webpage, Steve Jankowski.com. Um, there's really no merchandise other than, uh, the recordings that I make that I, you know, I produce and play on, um, you know, I did one for Andy Rothstein recently. If you're in the horn section stuff, Andy writes these great fusion, fusion bass guitar tunes. He's a guitarist and he has me produce and arrange them and add like a five piece horn section to them. Um, I can send you a link for some of that as well. That's really fun to listen to. And it's really difficult because it's all guitar keys and playing these guitar melodies, you know, on horns, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to listen to. I can send you that link as well. That's the only merchandise, the only thing I can think that you could pick up. Please share with my audience any upcoming live performances or projects you'd like to announce. We just did the Tiny Desk concert with Nile Rogers. I mean, I'm pretty much exclusively with Nile at this point. We were on the road for 180 days this year. Um... We're flying out to L.A. tomorrow to film Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve for ABC TV with uh, Ryan Seacrest. So that'll be on New Year's Eve on ABC. I think uh, I think we're filming four songs for that. And then we fly down to the Bahamas Friday to do a show with uh, Lionel Richie in uh, at, at the Atlantis in the Bahamas. And that'll be the last show for the tour this year. Um, but we just got back from Australia, New Zealand, Dubai. We were in Europe all summer. It's been a great year. Steve, thanks so much for a great interview and granting me this time. So after hearing your stories, I'm sure my listeners will all agree that you certainly got chops. <laughs> thanks so much, Scott. It was a pleasure. Oh, pleasure's all mine. Steve, have a great day. Safe travels tonight as you're flying, and we'll speak again soon. Great. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on today's show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and could hear why my guest got chops. You can follow my podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or Anchor.fm, and stay connected between episodes on Instagram at gotchopspodcast. Join me on the next episode when we discover why my next guest got chops. Mm-hmm.